excited to get into a little bit of uh, 1 Peter. It's been a while since we've, I mean, I say a while, a few months maybe, since we preached through just a book from beginning to end, so I'm um, looking forward to it. And I think, really, I mean, as you see, the title is called Wanderer. Uh, the letter of 1 Peter is written to, as he says, exiles, scattered, like wanderers, people who don't have a home, basically. And as I was reading this uh, months ago, I was like, this would be the perfect kind of context for someone coming out of lockdown, someone in lockdown. I think we all felt like parts of us are kind of wandering and not really, it's when you don't feel like your home is your home, where you don't feel settled, there's an element of wandering there. I think we're all kind of there spiritually, um, even if we're not like these people who Peter is writing to, like actually physically scattered, I think spiritually we're all probably a little bit scattered. And as we kind of come out of the chaos and disorientation of the last 18 months, and really just kind of the general chaos and disorientation that comes from living in modern life that would have been there regardless if there was a pandemic or not, what this letter is is an invitation to a life of meaning. It's an invitation to, to, to navigate this chaos well. We're all in the chaos. Some will navigate it well, some won't. This is going to t- tell us how to do it in a way that was probably better than what we did before. Now, regardless of where you are with Jesus, wherever you are with that, or with the church, all of us have been living in a bit of a wasteland. We've all been more isolated than before. Of course, of course, isolation and loneliness was a problem before. Now it's a real, it's a massive problem. We all have more anxiety. We had anxiety before. Now we have more of it. We have different kinds of fears. And maybe even over through the pandemic, we've, we've lost people that we've loved, or we went through difficult times ourselves. And maybe we feel just like a little bit on edge probably is some element of learned social anxiety that we all kind of have. We're not really sure exactly how to do that well. I think this can all add up to not really feeling you're at home, even if you are at home. I think it is a very human experience to have this sense of wandering, something we all go through. We all go through. And probably all of us have some parts of our lives that we can connect with this idea, you know, that we just really aren't quite home, that we're not, quite, we're not really there yet. And if you're a Christian, there are probably times where you have felt you aren't at home in this world. Uh, that can be painful and that can be difficult. The Bible is quite honest with it. It doesn't say that it's easy. It just says it's going to happen. But there's also the opposite reality. As Christians, sometimes maybe we grow a little bit too comfortable with the idea that this, idea, this world is all that we have. And that this is really our only home. We forget who we really are and settle for a comfortable existence instead of the radical life that Jesus calls us to. But the good news in all of this, wherever you are with Jesus or not with Jesus, with his church or not with his church, wherever you're coming from, for us who wander, there's really good news that we're going to find out in this letter. A wanderer doesn't have a home, doesn't have a family. There's kind of no thought to any kind of legacy. You're just trying to make it from day to day. Uh, in fact, there's really not like a hope at all. That's maybe one of the more, more difficult things. But for all of us, we're going to hear some really good news. Good news of work, the, the work through the Trinity, through the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, through the Trinity, we get to be born into a hope that is alive. One that doesn't settle, it seeks more, it finds more. And this hope that comes from this new life gives us a joy, gives us a happiness that is stronger than any kind of difficult wandering experience that we will ever know. And Paul is writing this particular letter. And by the way, if you have your Bible, open up there. If you're not sure where it is, it's towards the back end of it. And there's, uh, of course, a table of contents. If you have an app, 
1 Peter, the first letter. Keep that open because we're going to be looking at some specific verses. Um, but Paul is writing this letter not to one church, but to a people who are scattered, like multiple people who are in multiple churches, to wanderers. Uh, and as he did so, through the Holy Spirit, we today get to hear this good news as wanderers ourselves. So in this message today, we're going to look at this good news. First, we're going to look at what this actual, what is this good news first? Like why is Peter happy, even though people are in suffering? So we'll talk about good news. Second, we'll talk about how we encounter this good news. Because this great news isn't always, in, like we don't always encounter it in great circumstances. And then lastly, we're just going to look kind of briefly about the tradition of the good news that we get to be found in. So this first Or only when something goes something wrong. He doesn't have to do something wrong. Something bad can happen. And uh, people are like, oh, it's a sound guy. Very easy to blame it on him. Mike knows this very well. <laughs> uh, not for me, of course. Um, uh, so, okay, let's get to the first point. Thanks a lot for that, Mike. Uh, first point is, what is this good news? What, I've been keeping saying this word good news. What's the deal with that? And if in any, if any part you're like, I don't understand what's going on there, or I completely disagree with that, or here's a thought I have, maybe can we talk about this? Go to this site, RedeemerMCR.com slash ask, and uh, you can give uh, anonymous questions or comments or whatever. And if there are questions that relate to what we talk about, then um, we'll bring them up at the end of the service altogether. So uh, and that'll be on, on kind of each slide. Uh, right. So we might be wanderers, but there are some, just some really good news for us who are wanderers. Let's look at verse 3 here. Um, Peter is writing, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is a lot going on in this. We could basically take the whole rest of the service and talk about that. We're not going to do that. We could. That'd be really fun for me uh, and maybe for a few others. But uh, we're going to take it in the context that Peter is writing here. But we need to break down some of this. First, we've been given a new birth. So if you've heard the term born-again Christian before, that's just another term for what, what a Christian is. It's someone who, through God's work, has been made new. When someone is born, it's not like you're like, wow, that baby did a great job borning itself, getting birth. You know, like, like the, the applaud goes to the mom, as it ought to. Uh, it's a new person. And, and really, when a new person is born, it's, it's a new world for that person. Previously, the baby only knew the, the you know, inside mom's tummy. But now, like, they know a whole different, it's a whole different kind of world out there now. And so for everyone who's born new, you get born into a new world. And again, what did a baby do to get born without the mother? That child has no hope. We don't birth ourselves. We are born. And this is a gift that we get from our parent, from God. And Paul tells us a little bit more about this birth. So we've been given a new birth. We've been given a new birth in mercy. It says in God's great mercy. In, in his, we're talking about God the Father. In his great mercy. Our new birth came about in line with the mercy of God. Now, when you receive mercy, basically, you're getting what you don't deserve. You deserve far worse, but you don't get the bad thing, and that's called mercy. If you commit a crime, mercy would be not getting your due punishment. That's what mercy is. 
And we've committed many crimes against God, and yet he's merciful towards us. Now, maybe you think, oh, have I, I've not really committed many crimes against God. I mean, okay, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm perfect, but it's not like I'm, you know, shooting arrows at God or, you know, cursing him or shaking my fist and talking about how horrible he is to people. And really, when I do bad things, it's not as bad as probably most people out there, like, you know, maybe like 51% good. But here, have a think about this. If, as you can tell from my accent on America, if I came from America and came to the UK and was like, I know how to drive. I know what driving laws are like. I'm just going to drive the same way I did in America as I did here. Uh, that would be ridiculous. You'd be like, Greg, this is a new, this is a different world. You don't drive on your, first of all, you're on the wrong side of the road. Second of all, what's with your car? The steering wheel is the wrong spot. Third of all, you don't know the rules of the road because it's a whole, it's a different country. You should abide by these rules. Now, if I didn't abide by those rules, I would get in trouble, and rightfully so. That is like, everyone would say, well, that's not unjust. Un unjust, of course. Like, it's completely normal. But here's the thing. Uh, we, all of us, are living in God's world, in God's country. All of us. And there are ways to live in this world that he has set out. He hasn't even made them super mysterious. He literally, he put them down in a book with words that we can read. So we can know what these things are. And our lives, we know our, our lives are not always aligned with the way that he's called us to live. I mean, we just had a portion of our service where we talked about that. I mean, maybe the first, the biggest thing is uh, that God calls us to do that we are lame at is we don't seek him and above everything else. Like if we don't do that all the time, we're not living a life aligned with God. I don't know about you, but I do not seek God all the time with my entire life. Maybe you guys are better. I'm willing to think you're probably just like me and that you're not perfect all the time. That's why it is really good news to read that we're born new in God's mercy. We're born new in his mercy. Instead of his punishment on us, he takes it on himself so that we can be reborn. And this birth gives us a desire now to live us in the way that he's called us. That's an amazing thing. And that's something that, especially if you're a Christian, and you've been around the church for a bit, that's something you read and you're like, oh yeah, in God's mercy, you've been born again, yep. But when we stop and think about it, that's, what an amazing thing that, that gets to be true for us. And that's why it's good news uh, to read that we're born new in his mercy. So, but there's also another thing. We're born in mercy. So we're given this new birth. This is kind of coming uh, aligned with God's mercy. But we're also born into two things. Paul, uh, Peter talks about we're born into a living hope and into an inheritance. A living hope and inheritance. Now, hope is really good. If you're a wanderer, hope is in short supply if you feel like you're wandering. If you feel like parts of your life have has wandered off a bit, it's not because you've been overwhelmed by hope that that happened. In fact, it's the, in the wandering process, we kind of feel like, is there an end? Like, is there a destination? Is there an end goal? Is, there something, is something good ever going to come happen from this? And a living hope here is contrasted with a dead hope. All hopes are not equal. There are living hopes. There are dead hopes. Some are going to give you some good things. Some are going to give you some really great things. And some are just going to not really deliver at all. A dead hope is a life set on useless things, pointless, futile. But a living hope is real, set on things that matter, things that are weighty, things of consequence. And now we might be tempted to think that we live in a time that's unique to this feeling of hopelessness. But that's just not true. That's just not true. Especially if you consider uh, Peter's uh, audience here, you... You were living in a place, maybe Jerusalem, maybe you were a Jewish person that worshiped the Lord, 
and then all of a sudden you're in a whole new different uh, household in a whole new different country. You don't know what the language is anymore. You don't have a worshiping community anymore. I mean, if any of you have just if you've moved during lockdown, that's kind of similar kind of thing. You just feel isolated times two. I think that now also moving to another country, which you know some of us have have done that as well. That can be really isolating as well. You don't feel overwhelmed with hope when you're in those situations. You feel like, what am I doing here? It's like this. It's hopeless. There wasn't anything in, in uh, Peter's time here to look forward to in old age or death. So life was all about living in the living about now. And this is basically what our kind of modern life is, our materialistic kind of consumeristic life. How I feel about now is how, if I feel now is okay, then I'm okay. If I feel now is not okay, then I'm not okay. And I can solve that by buying something or kind of making like, instead of having a, a grand uh, and thoughtful interior life, I'd rather just get an interior designer instead and kind of like, that'll fix it. For us wanderers though, good news is that we can have a hope that's alive, one that's real, one that's better than the materialistic things. I mean, those things are great. Interior designers, obviously, they're not evil. They're not bad. They're great things to have. But they're not going to give us what our souls really need. We'll still be hungry at the end of them. We're also born into an inheritance. So a hope and an inheritance. And um, Peter says here, this inheritance that's going to last. It's not going to perish, spoil, or fade. And it says, this inheritance is kept in heaven through you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. So God himself is keeping your inheritance for you, and through his power, it's going to be there. It's not like you don't have to worry about, oh, is my pension, what's it going to look like? And like with God, he has it kept. You don't have to worry about like retirement ages and that, do I not have enough money to do the thing. With this kind of inheritance, you don't have to worry about that because it's kept by God. This hope, this have, this inheritance, it's secure. Now, as much as we try and surround our lives with security and comfort, really, one small thing like a pandemic, I know a pandemic was a massive thing, but really in the grand scheme of things, it's actually not that large. That's all it needed to show us our life is far less secure than we thought it would be. We really assumed a lot going about our day-to-day lives. More secure than anything else we try and keep and guard ourselves is this inheritance we have, God. Now, of course, it's a good idea to plan financially for your future, but how foolish to think that that's all you need for your future. Now, money can nearly always help a situation, of course, but in itself, it's not enough to help a person. And when you go through difficult things, you're probably not like, I wish I just had more money. That would solve the relational issue I have with my parents or whatever the thing is. Of course, unless your issue is money, then maybe money would solve that issue. You get what I'm trying to say. Money helps but only so far. The great thing is about this good news is God the one who is the one who keeps it. He's the one who protects it. He's the one who is guarding it and shielding it. Now, Peter also tells us how God does all of this. So there's a hope that we're, we're born from a great mercy. We get this new birth, which means a new world for us. We get be, we're, we're born into a living hope, and we get this inheritance that um, is guarded by God, but also Peter gives us the how. how. How in the world does this all happen? This sounds really good. No one has ever said Christianity was kind of like a bum deal. They've all said, actually, it's like too much of a fairy tale. It's too good to be true. Like, how in the world could that possibly be true? Well, Peter tells us how that happens. It's through Jesus' resurrection. Jesus of Nazareth is a person who was born. He lived, he died, he rose again, and now he's in heaven, ruling over the world. One of the reasons that Jesus' resurrection matters, that that truth matters, 
is that it's through his resurrection that we get to experience our own. That's one of the reasons why it matters. There's lots of reasons why it matters. That's just one of them. And when Jesus rose again, he didn't keep his new life to himself. He freely gave it to us. He could have just kept all the good stuff for himself, but he loves being generous. He's so other-centered. He gave it freely to us, and he's still in the business of giving it freely to other people. If mercy is about not getting what we do deserve, the resurrection is about getting more than we deserve. And both of those things happen simultaneously. We don't get what we, do, what we deserve, the punishment, and we get more than we deserve by participating in the resurrection with Jesus. Without Christ's resurrection, the best hope we all have is not alive, it's a dead hope. Without Christ's resurrection, any future we can dream of is completely vulnerable, and it probably will be swallowed up, especially if you're thinking about death, it will be swallowed up. Without Christ's resurrection, there is no new birth. The burden of life is upon us. It's a heavy burden to bear to make your own meaning in this world all the time. And if we're lucky and enslave ourselves, maybe, just maybe, we can reach the status quo. Maybe if we're lucky. Nothing higher than that, though. Mercy is about not getting what we do deserve. Resurrection is getting more than we deserve. And this message, this good news, is radical. Completely, utterly radical. Show me any philosophy, any political thought, any kind of artist creation or artist statement, the most far out stuff out there. Nothing can hold a match to how radical this good news is. We've only read a few verses. Can you imagine for mercy, for someone who deserves punishment and a new life for, for who? For people who work really hard and prove themselves? That's not what God's telling us. No, for wanderers. What about like how the biblical ethics and how God tells us to live and all the kind of rules and things like that? Well, of course, that's important, but that's just not what Peter's talking about here. In fact, one could say that it doesn't really matter what Christianity teaches about rules, about how we ought to live in a new world, unless you believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Lord and he, that he resurrected, all the other stuff actually doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter what the Bible teaches about anything. If you don't believe that Jesus is the resurrected Lord, it doesn't really matter what Jesus taught and what the Bible says about anything else. I mean, I think there's loads of helpful things in here, but you can just make your life incrementally better. It's not going to change anything. But if you do believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Lord, the resurrected Lord, and he rose again, then actually what he says comes with a different kind of weight. That's different than just some guy who meant well and happened to die in a way that seemed to be loving than like the risen Lord dying, or not, not the Lord who died rose again for us. And that means like the rest of what he has to say to us probably really does matter, but only in that light. Really, if, if that light isn't there, then you shouldn't really waste your time with this. I think this really does change everything. Take um, parenting, for example, which is not an easy thing. And anyone who... Basically, if you want to make money, write a parenting book because there's so much anxiety. People are just like, give me the money, tell me the book, give me the stuff so I can do the things. Which is why I'm doing, no, I'm not. Uh, I have a lot to learn. Uh, okay, what we do with our kids. We agonize over our kids, over everything. Over what kind of school they're going to go to, university, friendships, extracurricular activities, careers. Are they going to choose a career that not only do they feel fulfilled, but are they going to be kind of like be able to provide for themselves and 
What about like, are they going to have a family? Are they going to have a partner? Are they going to have kids? Like, what's the, we, we agonize over all of these things, right? But, and all those things matter. I'm not saying those things don't matter. But they don't matter in the same way of our children knowing that Jesus is the resurrected Lord. There's a, there's a difference there. I'm not saying that it doesn't matter, but it doesn't matter in the same kind of way. Because you know, if they get that Jesus is the Lord, and all that stuff, Now, I want all of our kids to have, to, uh, you know, make meaning in this world and, and have this world reflect heaven as, as Jesus called us to. But all the agony and stuff that comes from, are they going to get in the right school? Are they going to have the right friends and all those things? Really kind of secondary compared to what God's telling us here about knowing that Jesus is the Lord. And big life decisions, they matter, but what are we agonizing over? And in our agonizing, what are we teaching our children about what really matters? And, I'm not, and that's true for us who have kids. And for those of you who don't have kids, but are around this church, you're teaching our kids like what it means to adult as well. Like Colin already knows a you know, good amount of what people care about in this church. And I think that's an amazing thing. That's great. I would love for him to know people other than mom and dad who love Jesus and actually think about that and care about that more than anything else. And the great thing is he does get to know those kind of people. That's the kind of people we want for our children. That's actually also the kind of friend I just want to be to anybody in general. So Jesus being Lord, that changes everything. We could go on all sorts of other kind of examples of that. We're not going to do that. But just think of that applied to any kind of other area of life. What do we agonize over? What really matters? Where are our priorities? And are they in the way that God's telling us? So that's a little bit about um, the good news that we hear in these verses 3 through 5. Now, the, the next kind of set of verses, we're going to look at verses 6 through 9 here. And we're, uh, this is, I didn't really know exactly how to title this, which is kind of awkwardly titled, How We Encounter This Good News. Because this is amazing news. It's, it's great. This is, for that, the fact this is true is, is great, and this is the reason why we're here. But we don't always receive it in the best of times. And if you aren't uh, suffering now, just wait. That's the, um, the uplifting message for today that I will give to you. Just wait, you will suffer. Um, yes, let's all rally around that and be happy. Now, it's just kind of, this is what I love about Christianity. It's honest, and it's, it's kind of it's everyday life, right? An amazing message, but sometimes our circumstances are not amazing. So what do we do with that? The weird thing is we get to hear Peter is like praising and rejoicing. Look at verse 6. In all of this, so he's talking about this great message. In all of this, this great news, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Is Peter one of those Christians that is just kind of like, just think of like the silver lining or like, oh, you know what? I know you're going through difficult things, but God's good all the time. And you just kind of not really think about the difficult things in life. You know, those kind of trite Christian sayings that we all say so that we don't have to avoid, so that we can avoid going through the difficult questions. Peter isn't like that. He's talking about, I know it's been difficult for you to go through these really hard trials. He doesn't specifically talk about them, um, but, but he's kind of, he's, he's on their same level. Peter had to go through his own kind of trials. In fact, Peter eventually, himself, he was crucified, and not even right side up. He thought that was too, uh, he, didn't, well, he didn't want to dishonor um, dying for Jesus, so he asked to be crucified upside down. Like, Peter knows a thing or two about what suffering is like, and I think you probably do too. Because if I say, what kind of trials have you been through? It's not gonna, you don't have to like, oh, I don't know. Let me think. Can you come back to me? Uh, five minutes, maybe 10 minutes or something. 
You know it's right there. You know exactly what that is. And what we'll see here, and actually throughout this letter, which is another reason why I wanted to make sure we're going through this now, um, is that Peter is going to talk about suffering and what it means to go through it well. Now, there's all sorts of different kinds of suffering. The type of suffering that Peter is talking about here is suffering for righteousness' sake. Suffering for uh, following Jesus and for having a life that's aligned with him. That's what Peter is talking about. And uh, this type of suffering kind of goes like this. Being made to feel like an outsider by those who don't share your beliefs. Have you ever felt like that before? Yeah? Whatever the lip service we have in our culture about being inclusive, it is just that. We like to say we're inclusive, but we're really not. We're inclusive as long as everyone believes the things that we believe. The opposite of inclusivity. I get hateful emails and messages on social media from time to time, and often these are people who are all about being inclusive in other areas of our life. Funny how narrow we define inclusivity. So in our world, if our world was truly inclusive, you would not have anxiety talking about Jesus with people. You'd just be able to do it like it's normal, because it is actually normal. But we have that anxiety because it, culturally it's not. It doesn't really lead, lead to an inclusive kind of life, right? Your work colleagues, your friends, you might be like, oh, oh, how far can I talk about this? Can I even bring it up? Is that weird? You know, also, we say we live in an inclusive world, but you know, an overwhelming percentage of people who are homeless, people who live without homes, come from LGBTQ backgrounds. We say we're all about being inclusive, but we just don't want them in our homes. We don't want them in our churches. Like we'd rather them be somewhere else. That's not inclusive. We, just don't, we don't live in, inclusive, in an inclusive world. And there's a loneliness that comes from living as wanderers, as following Jesus, being made to feel as outsiders. Good friends, good families, they may not quite get that part of you. And that's difficult because it's a, a big part of what you believe. And that can be really hard. That is a type of suffering. There's also a suffering for living as we're called to as Christians. Like if we follow the resurrected Lord, that actually changes how we live. And that isn't always an easy thing. That's not always things that people are going to get. And that, sometimes that can be really small. Sometimes it can be really big. Sometimes that can be small as like, I have to get up a little bit earlier on a Sunday or like I have to hang out with my missional community people who I kind of like, but you know, they're not like my best friends or all this kind of thing. That, that, you know, sometimes let's just be real. That's kind of how we always think. It could be uh, even bigger things like giving some of your paycheck to the church and being able to use it all for yourself. That might mean you go on less holidays and all friends who don't, don't do that. And that's a way to live differently because we're Christians. It means giving some of each day to the Lord and spend, instead of spending the whole day on yourself. And that might eat into your Netflix entertainment time. But that's okay because we're Christians. It means making big life decisions, not as you yourself, but as you as a follower of the risen Lord. And this is okay, because you're a Christian. How we're called to live. If following Jesus doesn't change your life very much, it might mean maybe you're not really following Jesus very much. And that's okay, because Jesus says it's okay, regardless of where you are with me, that's fine. But if you want to really experience what new life is like, we need to lean into the way that I'm calling you to live. And if we don't, we actually miss out. The ironic thing is we think we're missing out by following Jesus. And so we won't do the things that we think we're called to do. But what we're doing is we're, we're holding ourselves back from experiencing this new life that he wants to work in us. Now, we all want to avoid suffering, uh, but there are times when avoiding suffering means avoiding Jesus. I want to avoid suffering any chance I get. 
And I will if given the choice, if given the option. Because it feels better in the short run. No one wants pain. I totally get that. But it kills us in the long run. It kills in the long run. What God tells us is that going through suffering for a short while, that's what Peter's saying here, while something greater is in store for us in the long run. Avoid the suffering that comes from follow Jesus and we feel better in the short term and we end up dying inside in the long term. Or follow Jesus through the suffering, as difficult as it might be. And though it will be difficult for a short time, there is something to be gained in the long run on the far side of suffering. There are things that God will teach us that he can only teach us when we're going through the suffering. There are things we're gonna learn about ourselves once we've gone through that suffering on that far side. And we've, we've looked back and we've seen how God has really carried us through things that we wouldn't have had to rely on him to carry us through if we didn't go through, through those things. If you never go down that path, you will never know him that way. You're gonna miss out. There are, are ways that God comes through for us in suffering to grow us, that give us a greater love, that give us a greater resilience, but it is only on the far side of suffering. I wish that wasn't true. I really do. Not just for you, but for me, selfishly. I wish it wasn't true. But that's what God is telling us here. And that comes up in verse 7. These have come, these suffering, these trials have come so that, so there's a purpose, which is a good thing to know there's a purpose in suffering. Actually, is this? No, it's not on here. There's a purpose to refine us, to give us that authentic experience of faith that we really want. He says a proven genuineness of your faith. Have you ever felt like a bit of an imposter when it comes to following Jesus? I say I do, or I show up on a Sunday every now and then, or, you know, I can, I can do the song and dance. I've, I've learned how to put my religious face on and do the religious thing. If you, if, if you, uh, one of the cures to that imposter syndrome is following Jesus through suffering. You will have a proven genuineness. You'll be like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I do feel like a bit of a fake, but I went through that thing. It was so difficult, and, and I didn't rely on Jesus, you know, perfectly 100% of the time. But I relied on him, and he came through in a way that I know, like experience-wise, I know the realness of that situation. I know who God is. I know what he's done for me. I know what he did for me in that specific situation. If you go through suffering and, and get to rely on God through that, there's a proven genuineness, I can't even say it, proven genuineness of your faith that comes out that combats that imposter syndrome that everyone comes through. You're like, ah, I'm a Christian, but kind of like a fake. Go through suffering. And you don't, have, you don't get to say that anymore. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I do fake it sometimes. I've been through that. And, you know, God's real. He really came through. What Peter is saying is this. It's worth more than gold. <laughs> That's worth more than gold. That's worth more than, like, the best retirement plan you could think of. That's worth more than a job that delivers on your financial dreams. People kill themselves for their career. You know, 70 hours, 80 hours, pouring the other life and soul into it to get ahead for a certain kind of lifestyle. What Peter is saying is following Jesus is worth so much more than that. Good to give yourself to a career. Following Jesus, better. And even as I say that, it might be hard for you to believe because we know paycheck equals comfort. But there's something more out there for us. And when suffering comes, how much does that paycheck really help? If you find yourself in a, in a type of trial right now, are you like, man, I just wish I had more money. That would make me feel, that would make me feel less lonely. Of course not. 
we wish, we ask, we pray for God to come through in a way that only he can. So we do suffer. Let's not pretend that we don't. Let's be real about it. We do. We do have the option of suffering well, of not missing out on what God wants to whisper to us in our pain. And Peter encourages us that whatever it is you're going through, it isn't forever. We suffer not forever. We suffer for a short while. That is really good news too. And that might combat the idea that this world is all that is and today is all that exists. There is a time in the future where that is just not going to be true anymore. There is a hope that we have secured by God himself and the end product of suffering well is worth more than the process of suffering itself. And the way we can tell if we'd suffered well starts at the end of verse seven because eventually at some point, somehow, and this isn't always going to happen right to begin with, at some point though, you end up giving Jesus praise. You end up giving Jesus glory. You end up giving Jesus honor. It may result in praise, glory, and honor and when Jesus is revealed, even future orientation that we have, our hope set being with him. And where Peter goes next is in verse 8. We have a belief in a God that we don't see. We believe him even though we don't see him, and we're filled with an, uh, an inexpressible and glorious joy. We have a love in a God that we don't see, and we don't fill ourselves. We don't have to fill ourselves. That's a great thing. God wants to do that for you. That's what God gets to do. That's one of the things that he loves to do. We get filled by the same God who has mercy, the same God who gives us new birth, the same God who gives us a living hope, the same God who resurrected so that we get to experience resurrection. This is the same God we follow when things are difficult. So when you suffer, don't do the Western thing. Don't do the middle class thing, the British thing, the religious thing, sort it out yourself. That's what we want to do. We want to sort it out ourselves. We don't want to be a burden on someone else. We say we want to sort it out ourselves. That's not really good news. That's depressing news. That's crushing. The good news is that when we suffer, there is a purpose. There is a God who's there with us through it all, filling us with a joy that extends beyond our circumstances. We've heard this good news. We've talked about how we encounter it. And I'm just going to go a little bit longer. That's something they always tell you in um, like uh, sermon classes and things. Don't tell people you have like a little bit longer to go because then they'll start checking out. So broke the rules. Um, normally, I would just kind of say, you know, that's a great place to finish. But there's some other really good stuff here. And it continues. These next three verses from, uh, from verses 10 through 12. We don't receive this good news kind of as an isolated 21st century believers in the West. We have a tradition that we've been born into, and, and this, is, this is part of our good news, and, and I think it saves us from a, like a, a selfishness that we kind of innately have. So lest we think Christianity is some kind of recent invention or some kind of like white man's religion, let's read about the tradition uh, that we are a part of when we are reborn. These are the last three verses. We, what, we, what we learn about here is the prophets spoke of this good news, spoke about the grace. So that means the Old Testament is about this resurrected Jesus. They kind of knew what they were talking about, kind of they didn't. And, but eventually, it made sense because God's the ultimate author here. People who lived hundreds of years before Jesus uh, was even on the earth spoke about this radical reality of people being given new birth. I always wonder, like, did they even know what they were writing? You know, I was just reading Job the other day talking about how he has a mediator between him and God. How in the, like, what was going through Job's mind? Somehow he understood it in a way that I don't understand how he knew it. 
The prophets didn't get to see it. They wrote about it, anticipated it, dreamed about it. They dreamed about being here now, where you are. Like, ah, my life's, you know, it's all right. It's not that great. Many, many people have dreamed to live in the reality, getting to experience Jesus the way that you have the chance to experience him. Amazing. And today, we are being served by those prophets in the Old Testament. They wrote thousands of years ago, and they wrote about Jesus, his sufferings, and his glory. Thank God they did, because we really need it. As the saying goes, we stand on the shoulders of giants, and this is the tradition that we get to step into. It's not like uh, we're just kind of by ourselves sorting it out. We, we get to be born into, in, a, in a tradition that tell us how we ought to live, that tell us about who God is and who we are. And I don't think we should take this for granted. They gave their lives writing so that we would understand this resurrected Lord. And so how do we treat their service to us? I mean, you don't have to be a nerd like me. You don't have to know Hebrew or Greek, and you don't have to, you know, get into the theological nitty-gritty details. Um, but if you don't get into a little bit of what our spiritual forefathers were writing about, you are going to miss out. You'll hear stories of how other people went through suffering. Sometimes they did it well, sometimes they didn't. But you'll know I'm not alone as someone who follows God and is suffering. And you'll hear stories about how God met his people over and over again, how patient he is, how he provides for them. And you'll know that you are not alone in your faith. You wander, but not by yourself. And what also happens in th is this, and this is kind of mind-boggling um, as well, talking about uh, this last part of verse 12. Um, they spoke of the things that uh, have now been told you by those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So what happens is the power of the Holy Spirit is at work through his words. And the Spirit works through preaching so that we can hear this good news. All of us, just because I'm the one who happens to be talking now doesn't mean I don't need to be hearing these words. We're all hearing these words together. This is a unique thing for us as wanderers. The Holy Spirit working in them, past tense, Old Testament people, is the Holy Spirit who works in us. The same Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit worked in them so that the Holy Spirit can work in us even literally right now as we're reading these words. When something that's set up front from the Bible or in your missional community from studying the Bible, when that's said and it really connects with you, that's not from a person. That's from God. That's the power of the Holy Spirit through his words changing you in that moment. And this is the tradition we get to be born into as wanderers who have received this good news. What an amazing thing. We are born into a living hope by God's mercy, and through Jesus' resurrection. And we get to hear this good news through the Holy Spirit. The Trinity has been at work since creation, weaving this story of life into a world that longs for it. But even as we hear this really good news today, there are spaces in our lives where we don't welcome it. We want to keep it out. We want to keep it wandering. We try and keep the resurrection out. The problem with that is, is that without the resurrection, there's only death. Letting Jesus into some areas of your life might be really scary. I completely get that. No one's saying it's not. But what should be even more scary is not letting him in. Because he brings life to what is dead. He speaks good news to all the parts of us that want to wander away. 
Now, this is a radical message. I've already said that before. But really, when you think about any birth, even though it happens all the time, it's completely radical. I remember after Colin was born, just kind of amazed at going by a hospital and being like, right now, there is a kid being born. That is crazy. Like, all the time, kids are being born. I mean, have you ever seen a birth? It is insane. What in the world is going on there? I remember there being like there was blood and there was crying and there was screaming. <laughs> but then also there were other people there too, making sounds other than myself. This message <laughs> freaking you all out. It's at least freaking my wife out. It is crazy. It, it like how in the world does that happen all the time? Like it's normal. Somehow it is, and yet it's miraculous every time. This message it comes to us even in our pain, just like any birth might be. And this message is miraculous, just like any birth. And we are born into a living hope by God's mercy through his resurrection. And we get to hear this good news through the Holy Spirit. It can happen anytime, all the time. It doesn't have to happen just on a Sunday between certain hours.